mind and and your your uh, your truth to these folks. I pray that you would uh, just keep me out of the way. Don't let me get in the way of the message and the truth of it all. And and Lord God, I pray that um, the folks who are here that they would hear from you, that their their hearts would be uh, just just you know soil ready to receive the the seed and the watering that is your word and 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 your gospel in Christ's name. Amen. Um, one of my one of my favorite things about this time of year uh, is is here in the coming weeks, people will begin traveling uh, and doing their, their warm weather vacations, which means that Facebook in the near future is going to have videos of people messing with Buffalo and, and, and the things that happen as a result. Y'all, I'm not the only person who watches these things, right? Like I, <laughs> it's it's because I'm 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 a bad guy for some reason deep down I I do sort of enjoy giant buffalo, doing what they do right, um, and and in fact actually I I had never understood buffalo well I mean I'd been to Yellowstone before we moved to Montana and I'd seen buffalo up close and 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 whatnot but I never understood them until I talked to to the retired ranchers out in the nursing home. And I, I, I was talking to them about them, and, and man, I have never met a group of folks that hated <laughs> anything in the environment as much as those guys hated buffalo. I mean, they, they got mad, and they, you know, because they tear down fences and, and all this. I mean, they're big, and they're dangerous, and they can be destructive and, and all that. They also taste really good, um, which is a big plus. Um, but the, the, the thing with Buffalo, like, and you'll see this every year, you'll see these things, um, where folks will walk up to them and, and try to pet them. Now, now a bison or a Buffalo, I don't know, uh, Carly, do you know how much a Buffalo weighs? A lot. I, how much? Close to a thousand pounds. I mean, this is a big, strong animal. And if that big, strong animal decides your car is in the way. It will move your car, which apparently does happen from time to time in Yellowstone where people will like drive down the road and separate a cow from her from her baby bison. I don't know. Mick bison, I guess. Calf. Okay. Um, (laughs) And and the mama bison will gently pick up the car front end and like move it to the side and go over to her calf. And and I mean, she's sort of indifferent to the car because she's a buffalo. Right. (laughs) They can. Um, or you'll see where people go up and try and pet them, and they'll throw them into a tree um, or what have you. I mean, it's a big, strong animal. Now, if we were to take a bison and walk it into the coffee shop in the middle of lunch hour, that bison would be noticeable, right? Especially if it didn't want to be there. I mean, can we all agree on that? Big, strong bison, it would be like a bull in a coffee shop. That was funny. Come on, I, that was a big build-up for that terrible joke. Um, <laughs> where's my rim shot? Like, why don't I? <laughs> the the I mean, but it it would it would destroy the place, and you could not step up to that bison because it would just knock you over. Now, the bison itself would have absolute, like, absolutely no authority in that restaurant, right? Like, the bison couldn't order the place open and closed. It it couldn't order new coffee. It couldn't raise the prices, right? It couldn't decide that, that the French fries shouldn't have that really delicious seasoning on them anymore. Like nothing. That bison has absolutely no authority in the coffee shop. None. 
However, he is a force to be reckoned with while he's there. Are you all with me? But just because someone is strong or something is strong and something is forceful does not mean it's in charge. Now, we're going to be diving into a series here. We're working our way through. um, This is actually based on some work by a a guy named John Owens. He was an English writer um, many years ago. Uh, and and um, I'm reading through some work on on his uh, on his work, and I it's good stuff. And and we're going to be working our way through. And 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 um, what we're going to be looking at this week is the rhino in the room, right? We're going to be doing Romans seven. Um, and the rhino in the room for Christians is is like is sin, right? Like all of us have it. Some of us may forget that we have it. Some of us may notice our neighbor's sin a little more effectively than we realize we have our own. But it is in us and it is a part of us and it is a rhino in the room for all of us. Because that rhino in the room doesn't run our lives. But man, if it decides we're going to do something, it makes it awfully difficult to resist, doesn't it? Um. And so, like, we're going to dive into Romans here, uh, and, and I'll sort of flesh this out a little more. Um, but, but real quick background here, because we got to, like, understanding context is a huge part of understanding the Scripture properly. Um, this is Paul's letter to the Romans, which is why it's called Romans. Um, <laughs> and, and what's going on here is Paul has planned to travel to Rome and use it as a base of operation for, like, going to Spain and going into Europe, like, to, to spread the gospel. And so, like, Paul is sending an introductory letter as to what his theology is, what he believes. And, and Romans, Romans is a difficult book. It's a popular book because it is, like, like it, is, it is a thorough presentation of what Christianity is about, right? Like, it is a, a fleshed-out, you know, complete depiction. Um, and it's easy to treat it as just that and to miss a lot of the point because it is a powerful dramatic letter at the same time and that's a tough balance because we don't like our our heavy intellectual stuff to be emotional but there's both are there y'all with me um and so as we get into this like understand this is sort of a hinge point where paul sort of puts it all on the line um in the letter so far paul has talked a great deal about sin he's talked a great deal about adam and and the fall, and about Christ saving humanity. He's explained the gospel and how by, by faith in Christ, because Christ died and, and, and took punishment for our sins, we are saved, right? Like we are, we are saved from our sins, we're forgiven. Um, and, and as we get into this Romans 7, he begins to talk about some of the implications. Now, there's some argument about what Romans 7 is, um, is about specifically, and, and I'm going to present the, the dominant viewpoint, Okay. So be aware, I, I'm not going to backtrack and fill you in on every opinion on what Romans 7 is really covering, because I, I just, I, 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 I don't think it's valuable at this point. You all with me? If you want to hear more about it, catch up with me on a day that isn't today, or even when I'm not standing up front. Um, so we're going to start Romans 7, uh, 7 through 12, and Paul's been talking about the law, right? When we talk about the law, what we're talking about is the Ten Commandments, you all with me? And, and we're vaguely familiar with these things. Um, these are the thou shalt nots and thou shalt and like how to follow God. These are the major pillars. And the best way to understand them in my experience, like God gave the law, God gave the Mosaic covenant as sort of like an explanation of this is how you have a relationship with me. Right? Like we, we understand that you have no other gods before God. Right? That is one of the laws. You don't take God's name in vain, meaning you don't say 
you know, God tells us and then make a bunch of stuff up and use, like, God's name as authority for your nonsense. You all with me? Like, these are, you know, guidelines for how do you have a relationship with God and how do you have a relationship with the people around you. So, like, if somebody is God's child, you shouldn't murder them. Um, or you, if you get married, you shouldn't, you know, sleep around and have sex with women who aren't your wife, right? Like, that is a good law because God says, well, listen, if you're going to, like, live together, you have to follow these rules because if you don't get along with each other, you, you know, if you're not okay with my kids, you're not okay with me, right? Like, if, if you want to be on the wrong page with me, come and badmouth my wife to me, right? Because that, that is a defining moment for me as friends with somebody. Like, if you can't be cool with my wife, like, we're going to have a problem, right? Um, or my kids or what have you. Like, people, people get defensive about their kids. Um, so the law is this thing, is this guideline for how do we have a relationship with God? How do we obey and belong to God? What is sin? What is not? Um, and so he gets into this and he says, listen, what then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. So real quick here. Paul is digging as part of a bigger argument. It's hard to cover all of it in the amount of time I have. Um, but Paul is talking about the connection between law and sin. And what happens is, um, if there are no rules to break, can you break the rules? No. Nope. Right? But you can't. I can't break rules if there are no rules. Um, sometimes I get mad at my kids because they're doing something we don't have a specific rule against. You ever, ever encountered that? Like, hey, cut that out. And, and they're not actually doing something they're not supposed to do. And they look at you like, well, wait a minute. This isn't against the rules. But, but you know, in your heart, you know they're, they're rebelling and they need some direction. Anyway, um, so the law comes in and the law is there. And sin naturally will grab a hold of the law and disobey it. Like you need something to rebel against if you're going to rebel. There, you know, we're all rebel without a cause until we have something to fight against. Um, so the, is the law sin? By no means. Meaning the law itself, the Ten Commandments, God's like directions for how to be in relationship with him, they are not sin. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Meaning I can't sin if there's no way to sin. Like the law is like a fun, fundamental mechanism um, for sin to take place. Um, keep off the grass is not an issue until there's a keep off the grass sign. Right? Um, it, that's just how it works. Um, and so, like, like I would not have known, um, excuse me, I would not have known sin. Uh, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said you shall not covet. Meaning, don't desire things that don't belong to you, right? Like, don't look at your neighbor's wife and say, man, I wish my neighbor's wife was my wife. And then spend all kinds of time thinking about how hot she is and how great it'd be mar- it would be to be married to her. Like, that's not cool. You know, like that is a sin of the heart, and it's actually the root of a lot of sin is, is coveting. So, like he says, listen, this desire, this heartfelt hunger for things that belong to other people is a problem. Um, so, like, we get this law, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So what this means, watch this. If there's nothing to rebel against, sin has nothing to rebel against, right? Um, The bigger argument here theologically is people have a natural inclination to rebel against God, right? Like, and without a thing to rebel against, they, they, you know, it lies dormant. 
But once there is a thing to rebel against, sin grabs a hold of it and says, all right, let's go with this. We're going to do the wrong thing. Um, it, actually, if you want to, like, it, 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 there's all kinds of arguments about sinful nature and all this. I mean, if you ever wonder about that, watch a little kid. You know, at some point in time, I don't remember when it happened, Abby lied to me for the first time. I know it's shocking. And, and at some point in time, Titus lied to me for the first time. Again, probably learned it from his sister. But nobody had to sit down and explain lying to him, right? He figured it out on his own. It's amazing. Abby figured out that if somebody has something you want, you can hit them and take it away. And I didn't show that to her. Right? She figured it out all on her own because she is gifted. Um, The reality is that this is what sin is. People don't have to be taught how to be wicked. We'll invent new ways all on our own. Right? And if you don't believe me, turn on the TV for an hour or two. Find a good cable news channel and just sit back and you will see sin and wickedness on display, right? Because it is out there. It is constant. It is the state of the world. We are all infected by it. Um, For apart from the law, sin lies dead, Uh, meaning there's nothing to rebel against. It It won't do anything. Oh, come on. Did I move forward up there? No. Yep. Twice? Did I move forward twice? Uh, all right, so I'm going to have to reboot that, and I will just talk off the screen. So I'm going to face away from you for a moment. Nobody throw anything at me. Um, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. So now Paul is not, um, is not physically dead at this point, right? But what he's saying is, He experienced spiritual death as a byproduct of sin having something to rebel against. Spiritual death is, like, we were designed, you and me and the guy next to you and the guy who, like, lives next door to you and and all of us human beings were designed to be in a relationship with God. It is at the core of who we are, right? Like, Like, we are plugged into God naturally. Sin is a separating factor. It creates distance between us and God. And when we are separated from God, we die spiritually. Um, I, I, I'm going to use a farm analogy. Um, choke cherries, right? Has anybody in the room not eaten choke cherries? Oh, wow, Michael, really? You're it? Like, <laughs> only guy, it's usually eaten as syrup at the Durga's house. Um, <laughs> The, the, but choke cherries, right? They come, they're on the tree. On the tree, a choke cherry is alive. The moment that choke cherry comes off the tree, it is dead, right? It may not know it yet. It may not be rotting yet, but it is dead. You pick a flower, that flower is dead, which makes it the weirdest thing in the world that women like for you to give them dead things. Think about that a moment. Um, (laughs) but so what happens is sin comes along, sin severs the relationship between us and God and sin in us makes us dead. We are spiritually dead. We are spiritually separated from God. There is distance there and we are dead. Um, the very commandment that promised life, meaning the commandment existed to give us a guideline for how to be in relationship with God proved to be death to me because my sin grabs hold of it and I rebel and I die. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. Now watch this. People don't sin for no reason. Are you all with me? 
when Abby hits another kid to get their toy, she is doing it because she wants the toy, right? When people lie, they usually lie because they're trying to get something or they're trying to get out of trouble or they're trying to get people to look at them a certain way or what have you. You are in a whole special place when you lie for no reason, right? Like usually that is a level of spiritual sickness that is astonishing. Like that's a bad place to be. Um, Sin offers something better than relationship with God, and we say, I want that. So sin says, you know what? If you, you know, visit these websites, you'll feel good and you'll feel better about life and it'll be pleasurable and there'll be no consequences. And that is an enticement, right? This money is just laying around at work. They won't even notice. And after all, they have plenty of it, right? The neighbor will never know that I'm gossiping about them. How do they not? I mean, how would they know? So it doesn't hurt them. I'll just gossip and it'll be good. Um, ultimately, sin is a promise of something better, and we chase after it because it seems like, well, if I have that, I'll be happy. Anybody ever spend a lot of time chasing after something you thought would be happy and then discover, like, much later that it wasn't really what you thought it was? I mean, you can waste huge chunks of your life chasing after stuff that will kill you spiritually. Um, sometimes it's escapes. I, I, I've spent years chasing after escapes, so I wouldn't... Wouldn't have to deal with the weight of life or the pressures of life or the stress of life or, or being depressed or being angry or what have you. And ultimately, there is no escape. Like, you've got to go through it. Um, sin kills us because it lies to us and leads us astray. Um, it deceives us. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good, meaning the law that we're called to obey is a good thing. Like, it is good, but... Um, because we are sinful by nature, like it is a, it, an illness that has infected us. It is inside us all the time forever. Um, like we, we can't escape that. It is on us. And so the law is good, but we are not. Like by nature, because of, our, because of Adam, we all get it. You know, thanks a lot, Adam. <laughs> oh, I forgot you were here. I totally did not aim that at you. <laughs> I'm not going to make any more jokes about that. I'm moving on. Um, So 13 (laughs) 13 to 14. uh, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me uh, through what was good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So now watch this. He's saying, listen. Sin is what it is. Sin has grabbed the hold of this good thing in my life and wrecked me with it. And by the way, you can do that. You can take good things and break yourself on them. Um, You can be right in the wrong way. Every married person in the room, hear me say that. You can be right in the wrong way, and then you're wrong. Right? That was really confusing. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but like, like... Ultimately, sin grabs a hold of these good things. Sin grabs a hold of whatever it can, and it it crushes us. Um, And the challenge that comes with it is that we don't plan it, right? Abby and Titus, my wonderful, beautiful, amazing children who I love more than I can tell you, never thought, it is time to start lying to dad, right? 
it is time to start Titus's. I love Titus so much because he is so clever and like so much like me. Um, not because of the cleverness, that's mom. The like me is he's figured out that if he's not told he can't get candy, he's not breaking the rules by getting some. And so sometimes he'll just go and get candy and eat it because nobody said he couldn't. Or he wanted to go home from work one day, and I said, we're not going home right now, so he left and walked home on his own. And, yes, I'm a terrible parent, but I got a lot of work done that day Um, at first. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But but he looks at me and says, well, hey, I can do whatever I want. He never planned and said, hey, I'm going to definitely break this huge rule of dad's. He just did it because he could. We don't usually plan out these major sins. Eventually, we reach a point where we plan them out, right? But sin kind of grabs a hold of us and does its own thing. Um, which Paul is going to get to in a moment. For I do not understand my own... Actually, did I cover all the verses there? Um, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Um, Part of what Paul is talking about there, now watch this. We are slaves to sin because it tells us what to do. Anybody here ever quit smoking? Oh my gosh. Anybody here not quit smoking? And You don't need to raise your hand. (laughs) the worst thing about smoking, and I remember, like, because I smoked for years, and you, would, you started and you got this little buzz off of smoking, and it was kind of nice, right? And then after a certain point, you don't get that buzz anymore. You just smoke because you have to, because if you don't, you're crabby, right? And then when it comes time to quit, it just calls to you. You wake up in the morning, you're laying there, and you think about your first cup of coffee, and all you're thinking about is, man, I wish I had my first cigarette too, Right? Only I told my wife I quit, so i got to wait until she goes to work so I can get up and have the first one. Um, (laughs) It it calls to you, and you obey it, because if you don't obey it, you're miserable, right? Um, For those of you who know what I'm talking about, everybody else, like, just trust me on this. Um, (laughs) We are slaves to sin. There is a law of sin that we obey that dictates to us. And it's not a law like don't speed that's easy to break. It is a law like gravity, that is a harsh mistress. <laughs> it decides what's going to happen and what isn't, right? Um, so moving on. For I do not understand my own actions. I read this next, like, five verses in front of a rehab group once, preaching a sermon. And I had somebody stand up and say, hold on, stop. Read that again. Uh, that's in the Bible? Like, that's real? Um, And I'll explain to you why that's powerful in a second. Let me dig into this. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing that I hate. Um, Anybody relate to that? It's easy to relate to it in little things. You start jumping into the big stuff, and it it is painful to read. Like my addict friend, when I read that to her, she said, that is who I am. Like, I have done awful things just to get high, and I, 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 you know, I afterwards I think, why did I do that? Why did I steal from my parents? Why did I degrade myself that way? Why did I do this? Why did I do that? Why would I be this kind of person? But at the end of the day, sin is driving the car, and I can't stop. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Um, By the way, there is power in recognizing your own sin, and here's why. Um, I read for years about how bad back pain is. Y'all have heard this, right? Injuring your back is awful. And I I understood that it was awful 
all the way up until the point where I damaged one of the discs in my back. And then I understood it was awful. You all hear what I'm saying? Digging in and finding your own sin and understanding it and owning it and confessing it and dealing with it is powerful because there's one thing to read and recognize it is another thing to experience it. The analogy I read in the, in the book I'm working through, like they compared it to HIV. It's probably a terrible thing to hear that you, that you have HIV. It would be an awful thing to hear. Can we all agree to that? I'm betting that actually experiencing it gives you a whole different perspective on the topic. Right? Um, sin, is, sin is crushing when you understand it in relation to who God is. When you understand it in relation to the sacrifice that Christ did, for, like, like underwent for us. When Paul says, I do the very thing I hate, Paul is not making light here. Paul understands that what he does to rebel against God is an abomination to God. Like, it is something that God is disgusted by. It is something that, that Christ was crucified for. It is something that we're forgiven for and we keep going back. And you think, why do I do this? Now, I do not do, excuse me, now, if I do... What I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Meaning if I do things that I know they're wrong, and I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it, I still know that the law is good. So the Ten Commandments, God's law, God's guidance is a good thing. Um, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now watch this. This is the buffalo in the coffee shop, right? Actually, I'm stealing from G.K. Chesterton. He said a rhino in in a tea shop. Right, But I don't drink tea and I don't know any rhinos. I don't know where I could find any rhinos. Right, But most of us have encountered buffalo in some capacity. So there's my localized analogy. Um, the buffalo hanging out in the coffee shop is doing what it's doing. You can yell at it. You can shout at it. But, man, it is a force to be reckoned with. Right? Like, and... And you can't just punch it. You can't just push it. You can't, like, treat it like it's a child. You can't, I mean, it's not like finding a mouse, right? Anybody ever come across a mouse and you and you got to deal with it? I'm guessing that you don't deal with mice the same way you deal with buffaloes. You don't. Um, it takes a much bigger gun for the buffalo. Anyway, uh, so Paul is saying, listen, the sin in me is doing this stuff. It is pushing me around. It is shaking me. It is, it is jamming me in one direction or another. It is in charge. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Meaning Paul says, this part of me that is the natural me, the sinful me, apart from the Holy Spirit, nothing good is there. I, what is it, Isaiah? And I I'm, will just touch on it real quick. Like for even my best at, actions are like, Filthy rags before God's robes of righteousness. Meaning, like, on my own, even the best things I can do is like, is like trash. Like, God helps us to do good things. God infests us and changes our hearts and moves us. Um, Paul is saying, listen, nothing good is in me because my sin controls me. Um, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do, the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing, um, meaning that sin controls, sin controls, sin controls. Anybody relate to this, by the way? Um, and it's a miserable place to live. Um, it is an awful way to be. Um, now, if I do 
what I do not want. It is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me, meaning sin controls me, sin makes me do it. Um, there are times when sin is going to grab hold of you and steer you into a ditch, um, and there you'll be. So I, find it in, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, mind you, this is a law like gravity, right? I may want to fly. I ain't doing it on my own, right? I, I may dislike gravity, but it is there. It's there every time I try to do anything like really cool and I fall on my face. Right? Gravity, gravity is a harsh mistress. Um, the law that is in us is, is the law of sin. It, it pulls us in this direction. It controls our behavior. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to resist and overcome. That is where it comes from. Um, in some ways, the Holy Spirit helps everybody, and I'm not getting into that today, um, like because otherwise the world would fall apart because we'd all be super wicked constantly and be an awful thing. Um, for I delight in the law of God. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I just went past that. Uh, wretched man that I am. Mind you, this is a strong word. Wretched. Um, I remember <clears throat> when I quit drinking years ago. And I, I backed up and I looked at how big of a mess I'd made in my life and in the lives of everybody around me. And I, I felt, man, I felt wretched. I mean, it took me a little while to come to full grips with it. And mind you, like, you know, we talk about alcohol. Alcohol is a big, ugly thing that wrecks people's lives. But there are other ways that this happens. Like, this isn't I, – I know people who judge everybody who comes near them. I, in fact, I worked with a gal in youth ministry years ago, 20 years ago. And I still, for years, I would hear the name, and it would make me cringe a little because she was just poisonous. She was awful. You didn't want to deal with her because nothing you could ever do was good enough. I remember she called me up on Christmas Eve to yell at me about how Christmas Eve's – service cookies were done um and she wasn't there (laughs) i mean like it like there are people who are i mean like like judgment is one of those things um sexuality we talk about that a lot like where, where we allow it to dominate our lives resentment becomes a huge one resentment is enormous right anybody mad at somebody they haven't seen in more than a decade Nobody wants to raise their hand and acknowledge that, do you? (laughs) Because the reality is that resentment is poison and it's sin. It just is. And it kills you spiritually. Does that mean you say, oh, well, I'm happy about what this other guy did? No. But when we come to own and understand the reality of sin in our lives, the reality of the brokenness that comes with it, the reality of the damage that we do to ourselves spiritually, the reality that Jesus Christ, God's Son, who loves you more than anything, was scourged and nailed to a piece of wood and mocked and hung naked and died, like being punished for our stuff, for this sin, for this brokenness, like, how could you help it be anything but wretched in that? Like, miserable in it. Um, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is one of the grossest but coolest passages in the New Testament. <laughs> so, if, if you've got a weak stomach, I'm sorry. Um, Paul wrote it, not me. Um, there was a Persian king who was so vicious and nasty that he would, he, he made it a point 
to like make sure that everybody knew how vicious and nasty he was. And one of the ways that he would punish enemies and criminals would be to chain a dead body to their back and then let them go. And you would just be stuck with this dead body. But what would happen is as the body rots, you begin to rot with it. But you're lucky enough to live through it. Ugh. And the Romans, like Paul's writing to Rome, he knows his audience. The Romans, this was like legendary in their world, right? What Paul is saying is this sinful, wicked part of me, this broken part of me is like a dead body tied to my back and I'm dying with it. That's a cool analogy because what we're talking about is sin and then the part of him that's redeemed by Christ struggling with sin. Because that is who we are. Every time you fall on your face and you get up and you say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I screwed up that big again. That's the sin in you, ultimately. How do we overcome that? We overcome it in Christ. And then we struggle with it. Um, I talked to somebody recently about they had a mice problem, a mouse problem. Mice? Mouse. Anyway, they had mice, a large number of mice. And so they mouse-proofed their home. And very slowly they wiped out the mice by putting out, like, glue traps where they thought they'd run. And, like, like poison and all kinds of other stuff. And the mice got so bad, like, they were starving, and they started to eat. The, the utensils in the drawers because they had so, like they were starving so bad. And like that is ultimately like when he, when he says, I mean, when we fight against sin, when we resist and break this thing, we go to God, we go to Christ over and over again, and we starve it out, which is where Paul is going with this. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Meaning who's going to get this thing off my back? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin, meaning there's a part of me that will always rebel, that will always resent, that will always get angry in the moment and lash out, that will always judge, that will fail to hear hear the gospel because I'm so busy, like, like looking around and thinking everybody else in the room should be listening carefully to this sermon. Anybody do that? I did it for years. It's the worst. Like, if you can't hear the gospel because you're thinking about how everybody else is wicked, that's a bad place to be. Um, The... Like he's saying, listen, this fleshly part of me is going to fight one way, and I'm going to pull in the direction of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is going to pull me in this direction, and I will serve him, and I'll belong to him because he died for me. He brought me back to life. He redeemed me. He made me new. And these two sides of me are going to fight forever. Ideally, it's like the mice, right? You fight them, and you starve them, and you beat them back. They don't disappear because sin is going to be a part of you until you die. Bad news, guys, right? It is. And if it goes quiet for a while, it's just waiting to pop back up somewhere else. Just how it is. And it'll find new places. So we have to be vigilant, and we have to strive, and we have to work, and we have to wage war against this enemy within us. And it is an enemy within us. It is there. How do we do that? I'm going to tell you there are a handful of things that are huge, right? The biggest one is finding somebody else who is a brother or sister in Christ who will call you out, not a yes man, right? We all have friends that we go to when we want to hear something nice. Like if I, if I have a bad day pastoring, I got like three people I'll call, and I know they're going to make me feel good about myself, right? If I'm messing up, I've got a handful of folks I'll talk to and say, hey, how was the sermon this Sunday? Well, here's my list of things you could have done better, guy. <laughs> all right, well, let's hear it. Um, confessing sin sitting and standing and walking and sharing life with folks who can call you out and tell you the truth is huge. It can never be overstated. 
um, ever, ever, ever. I, I because um, because accountability is the core of recovery. Like the account, accountability is the core is excuse me is at the core of overcoming sin. Being in a place where the guys around you don't judge you and you're willing to say like what is and what isn't is huge. It's actually one of the reasons why AA is such a successful program. It's based on Christian discipleship, right? Where all of these people who are horrible can sit down and talk about how horrible they are to each other. It's a really liberating thing. Um, and the church is supposed to be the same way. Where we can sit down and say, I'm wicked. These are the ways I'm failing. This is the way I'm falling short. This is the thing I did wrong. This is what my sin is. This, this is who I am. And the people around you say, you know what? I am the same way because I'm also wicked. Let me listen. Let me tell you my sins. Let's get it off our chest. Let's, that, that's you find strength in that. The body of Christ is designed to operate that way. Um, the next part, honestly, is, like, is the disciplines. Isn't that fun? That's like going to the gym. It's so easy and enjoyable. And eating healthy, we all love that, right? <laughs> Actually, Michael um, and I have been going to the gym for almost a year together. Yeah. And there's a cool thing that happens. There's a tipping point where at times it's almost enjoyable. Almost. <laughs> Spiritual disciplines, prayer, like talking to God, worshiping, right? Confessing sin to the people around you. Believe it or not, that is a discipline. Reading the scriptures, Right? Spending time like, like, like absorbing the word and being in it or being with other believers, like fellowshipping with other people. Going away and being alone and quiet at times is a huge thing. Like these elements of the Christian life, they starve the mice out. They do. And that, like they, they bring to the forefront the, like, like the truth of who Jesus is, that Jesus like we're new people in Jesus. The buffalo doesn't run the coffee shop. Sin doesn't run your life. Jesus does. The buffalo's strong, but every once in a while you can kick it out for a few days. It'll find its way back in. I don't know how buffaloes get in coffee shops. Apparently it's an epidemic. Um, There's a powerful thing. Um, And so my challenge for you is, is these two things, right? Do you have somebody that you're like that you talk to that way? Is there anybody in your life who you would sit down and say, this is who I am? Are you a person? Actually, when I was drinking heavily and I was I was doing a lot of other bad stuff, I I had this whole thing where I was terrified people would figure out who I really am. Anybody live that way? God, that's miserable. I remember that being like I I believe that's a little bit of what hell is. Um, do you have people that you can talk to that way? And if you don't, come talk to me and I'll help you find someone. Because there's freedom in that. And the second half of it is to indulge in Jesus is to do the workouts is to do the exercise and eventually it becomes easier and you find joy in it it's healing and it's awesome um those are the two big things um and then actually there is a third thing and I'm going to call my guys forward as we get ready to do this um on the night that Christ was betrayed like as Jesus was about to go die for your sins um He took his bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said to them, take this bread and eat it. This is my body broken for you, right? Um, Do this in remembrance of me. We as believers are called to get together um, 